The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, um, the truth of being here this morning is I'm very low energy. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. <laughs> so, so, one of the things that I have repeated over and over again in this, this uh, series is the wisdom of Uttajaniya, and he said, strong mindfulness is used to describe a state of mind in which the five spiritual faculties of faith, effort, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom are in balance. A state of mind that has been developed through the momentum of persistent practice. That's everything, really. Mostly what we've been doing is just expounding on that. Expanding. What, does that, what do those words mean to us? But the most important thing is the momentum of persistent practice. All of these five spiritual faculties are incorporated in that, the momentum of persistent practice. We started out talking about faith, the placing the heart on something. It is the, it is the development of confidence and trust that arises out of seeing what arises as you practice. Paying attention to be present. Paying attention. What happens when we pay attention? What we discover when we pay attention leads to the confidence of continuing that discovery. We talked about keeping present and continuing to look, even with something that is uncomfortable. I have to tell you, it's kind of uncomfortable to be sitting up here feeling so low energy. (laughs) But, you know, it's going to happen one way or the other. It'll be this quality or that quality. It is the persistence of being with that and to sticking with it when when it's uncomfortable and seeing what happens then. It is being open to experience being vulnerable, being open to what arises. And all of it through persistent effort, the energy of just keeping on. Relentless dedication, energy, perseverance. We talked last week about mindfulness and concentration. Mindfulness is sort of the the core around which we're discussing all of practice and the, and the five spiritual qualities. Mindfulness is seeing. It is, remember that the, the Pali word means not forgetting, not forgetting. It's remembering to be here, remembering to be present. Awareness by itself doesn't judge, cling. It just is here. I see this, I see this. It is through the effort of just seeing that we develop faith. Oh, this is what's happening. Oh, look at that. Oh, here's where it is. This is what's happening now. It takes courage. It takes courage to be willing to see things really as they are. You know, we, we don't always like what we see. <laughs> We're not always comfortable with what we see. Am I aware right now or am I not? Am I present for this moment or am I not? This is the basic thing to notice. Am I here? So as I was sitting here this morning, because my energy is low... It felt very much like I'd like to just take a nap sitting here. And I would drag myself back into the present, and I would focus on, 
I stopped looking at my breath, which was too small a thing, and I started feeling the edge of my skin. I had to look at something really specific, but not too tightly in order to be present, to be here in this moment. An aspect of mindfulness is remembering, recalling, oh, this is what happens when this happens. This, this, this leads to a benefit. So because my experience with sitting is when I'm feeling sloth and torpor and just want to take a nap, I need to put more energy into my practice. And so there are things I can do to put more energy in my practice. I can open my eyes. I can sit up straighter. So remembering, calling to mind what is skillful or unskillful is an important part of mindfulness. Concentration, on the other hand, is that thing that gives us steadiness. Gives us steadiness. Now, there there are two kinds of concentration. The concentration of of one-pointedness. If I had stayed with my breath, that would have been uh, probably a dangerous thing for me to do this morning. But also, there is the moment-to-moment awareness. Okay, this is what's happening now. This is what's happening now. So that you, you can... Close down your concentration. You can open your concentration up. But it is the steadiness that we're looking for in concentration. The attention, keeping ourselves alert and bright. Concentration isn't about going away. (laughs) It's about being really close. And deepening your concentration only happens with the persistence of practice. With energy, mindfulness, persistence, and faith. So this morning, we're going to talk about wisdom. Now, wisdom is tricky. Wisdom is tricky. I mean, who calls themselves wise? And yet, the practice, the capacity of wisdom is about realizing within your own experience what is useful, what is skillful, and applying that. Developing wisdom only takes experience, reflection, mindfulness, energy, the persistence to look. The work of awareness is to know, the work of wisdom is actually discernment. Wisdom is saying, This is useful and this is not useful. It isn't knowledge, although knowledge is a component of wisdom. The trick here is discernment, being able to say, this is this way, this is this way. It's not judgment. It's not saying this is good or bad. It's just being able to tell differences. Being able to tell differences. It's not an absolute, you know. This is always, this is a wise thing to do. This is only a wise thing to do under these conditions, knowing these things about you. Wisdom is something that happens all the time. It's not something that you gain and you put up on a shelf and you can pull it down and say, oh, here, there's the wise thing to do. Wisdom is active. It's a function of the mind. Your mind, the mind you use to say, ah, this is what's happening. This is what I do about it. In our practice, the cultivation of the faculty of wisdom, we're focused not so much on knowledge, but on a function of the mind discernment, what is skillful or not skillful, what is helpful or not helpful, what is useful or not useful. We ask ourselves the question, does this cause suffering for us? Does this cause suffering for others? Does this cause suffering for both of us? Us and others. That's what we ask. There's an element of uh, inclusivity to that. It's not just, does this make me happy? Put more positively, we say, does this benefit me? 
Does this benefit others? Does this benefit both of us? If it does, cultivate it. Do it again. Make it something that's important in your life. There's implied in these, these, this formulation the intention to be free of suffering. <sighs> you know? I mean, I could say, all right, from now on, I'm only going to eat ice cream because I like ice cream. Well, this would actually be quite foolish of me. First of all, it would destroy my love of ice cream. <laughs> that would be a terrible thing to do. But it would, not be, it would be foolish. It would be harmful to me. And I can think of ways it would be harmful to others as well. Inherent in this is mindfulness. It's seeing what is true. Seeing what's true. You know, it's very tricky to see what's true because we have ways of thinking about ourselves and about the way things appear to us. And we say, oh, yes, that's, that's this. I know what this is. And in doing that, we're refusing to see what's actually there. I was thinking about that this morning as I was, we were, we were driving down and there was, um, there was a lot of fog and we were slightly up above the fog and you could see the fog over the Crystal Springs Reservoir. It was really beautiful and there were some st- trees sticking out and I was thinking, what a beautiful picture this was. And I, I put the mental rectangle around it for the photograph I was going to take and then I said, uh-oh. Now, there were all these offending things. There were cars, there was the freeway, there were power lines. And I realized that mentally, I had shut all those out. When I was looking at the beauty of what I saw, I was not seeing those things. It was only when I imagined the photograph that I was able to see those things that I had just cut out of my vision. It was selective. If you've taken photographs, you've seen this happen to you, right? You take a photograph of something and then you say, wait, that's not what I saw. Because mentally we shut things out. We do that with all of our experiences. The power of mindfulness really requires us to pay close attention to what we're not seeing. What we're not seeing so that we can see things as they really are. You know, some, sometimes it's useful to say, and what else? And what else? There's implicit the quality of remembering. The remembering, oh, there are two ways, there's two kinds of memory here we're talking about. So one is, oh, I recognize that. That's my tendency to want to control things. But perhaps it isn't just my tendency to want to control things. Maybe there's, oh, I'm actually hurt. And if I don't see that hurt, I might actually be dismissing what's happening because I've labeled it, oh, this is just this old habit of mine. Mindfulness requires us to be really precise about what we're seeing, what we're aware of. When we talked about mindfulness, we said, what are you paying attention to? So it's useful to sometimes pay attention to something else. Say, oh, I seem to be in the habit of noticing my feelings. Maybe I need to pay attention to this body. Is there agitation somewhere in the body? Is the body relaxed? Does the body feel open? When we talked about concentration, we said one of the things about concentration that was required that you ha- is that you had to be relaxed. When you're tight, you can't, you can't get relaxed. And the same thing is true when, when you notice, I seem to be really brittle today. Like pieces of me might snap off. You say, oh, something's going on here that I'm not noticing. I'm just going to file that and keep that in mind. There's something I'm not noticing doesn't mean you go searching for it or analyzing. It's just what you're noticing is, oh, there's, there's this quality of tightness or 
uh, I feel brittle, or I'm, there's, there's not relaxation here. There's tension for some, something, there's some kind of tension. I'm going to watch that. So that you can select, you can be discerning about what you see and say, hmm, something odd about this. You don't have to know what it is, but you have to be open to it showing up. I can ask myself, is what I'm doing right now beneficial to me? Is it beneficial? If it is not, I can let go of it. What does that look like? So, if I'm noticing that something is hurting me, somebody hands me a knife, I don't grab it by the sharp edge. I look for the handle. And we do that when we, when we see what's going on with us. We can make choices. I become disenchanted with what does not further me. So if I did sit down and decide to eat ice cream for five days in a row, I would become totally disenchanted with ice cream. And I would no longer be interested in it. If I find myself constantly squabbling with somebody, this is very uncomfortable. And I'm going to let go of that in some form. Wisdom arises out of deciding how to do that. We'll come back to that. There are ways of learning. There are many ways of learning. I'm not an expert on ways of learning, but there are things that I know about learning. One is you hear things from people. You, know, you hear, you learn, there's knowledge base, right? You get data. And you learn from an expert, or you learn from a friend, or you learn from just the people around you, your family. Family teaches you a lot. You learn from your experience. You learn from your experience. If you pay attention to your experience, you are your own best teacher. You are your best teacher. Uh, when I was a, a young chemist, I had this... Uh, when I was, I was not a very good theoretician, but I was a very good observer and I was a good experimentalist. I was very good at experiments. So I had this, um, I was trying to do a synthesis that needed to be done very, very quickly. I had 10 minutes to do this complex synthesis. And it required using a catalyst. And the catalyst was coated on these little iron beads. And you knew that the process worked when there was a color change on the beads, a color change. It wasn't dependent on time, you know, it was influenced by time and temperature and all of the things, that, all the variables that you have, but basically you had to see that color change. And in the beginning, it was just a total failure. I knew the principle of what I was doing, but I just could And then I saw the color. Oh, oh, that. I see that. When it just goes from that slight brown to that very slight, shiny green, that's perfect. Harvest. It was very difficult to explain this in the, in the pub, subsequent publication, to, te- to describe the color that you had to see. You know, it, was, it wasn't practical. <laughs> we had to make it, you know... A formula. So we did a formula. But basically, I knew that what it took was that knowing that point. And then I was able to standardize around that. But it was observing that and seeing what made a difference that made it work. We have to do that in how we approach life. Everything that we do. Look closely What changes? What makes a difference? What makes a difference? With practice, I can do it. With practice, I can catch this. You don't start out knowing how to do it. (laughs) I mean, I knew what to do. With practice, you can catch what it is. Ah, this makes a difference. Here's the point at which something happens. The way to develop wisdom, 
is reflect. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm looking for. This is my goal. These are my intentions. Here's what's happening. Practice and repeat. Reflect, practice, repeat. Reflect, practice, repeat. Practice has all the elements of stability, mindfulness, being present, energy, effort, faith, showing up, the showing up part. But you have to be able to reflect on it. Just being here is not enough. You can have a whole wall of mirrors constantly reflecting images. If there's no one to see them, there is, in fact, no image. The wisdom arises out of your own experience, your own observation. This is what brings benefit to me, to others, to both of us. This is what makes a difference. You have to look at what you're not looking at and see what makes a difference. First, there's awareness. You notice things that trouble the mind. What are the things that trouble the mind? Greed, arrogance, envy, resentment, ill will, deceit, obstinacy, vanity. These things disturb the mind. You notice these things disturb the mind. You say, oh, oh, this makes me feel not right, not right. So it isn't so much about what I like and don't like. It's noticing what causes agitation in your mind and saying, oh, this is causing agitation. This is not causing agitation. Wisdom develops out of being able to tell one from the other what in your life is leading to benefit, what in your life is leading to agitation and choosing. We remember the costs of these ways of being. Anger is a really good example for me. When, when anger arises in me, I can, I can feel the anger sometimes before mentally I've noticed it. I feel it in my body, and I think, oh, anger. And I, really, I just don't like the feeling anymore. I, don't, I know that it causes me pain and suffering and that it causes other people pain and suffering, even if I do not act on that anger because they can feel what's coming out of me. I don't say anything, nevertheless. And I let go of anger. It'll come back, and I'll say, no, I don't want this. And, and if it's bad enough, then I say, okay, I need to do something about myself. I do not want to hold ill will. And I will, I will say metta for myself just to soften my heart. I don't say metta for the other person. I say metta to soften my heart because that's what makes a difference for me. The soft heart makes a difference for me. How I interact with the other person is so much later in the process. The soft heart is important. This is what I've discovered for me. One of the other things that becomes quite obvious is you have to allow what is true to be true. So if anger arises, I have to admit it's there, even if I'm you know, anti-anger, right? Don't want anger. Don't want to hold it. Don't want to grab it. I can't pretend it is not there. That pretending is like not noticing the freeway in front of the, the beautiful foggy picture that I found. There is, there's nothing that is, by definition, prescribed, authentic, perfect, this is the way to be. It is a personal experience of this is what leads to suffering, this is what does not lead to suffering. This is what leads to benefit, this is not what leads to benefit. It, there, there's no, there's no 
uh, I can't tell you this is this is the way. If you if you behave this way, this will this will always have good outcome. I cannot say that to you. One of the keys to this is being able to reflect. What do we mean by reflection? It's really not enough to just be here. It's important. But I have to be able to see this is what's happening. I have to be able to discern whether this is skillful or unskillful. I have to be able to say, I've seen this before, I haven't seen this before. And I have have to not be blinded by what came before. It really requires an acuteness of seeing, an acuteness of seeing, a sharpness of seeing. Suppose... uh, Here's a, you're visiting family members, and um, there is discomfort. Uh, there's suppose you have you, there's one sister that is all she she just knows how to pick at that scab, and she gets you every time. You see the conflict arise. You can see it coming. You try not to see it before it happens, but there it is. There's the conflict. You feel the anger rising. What do you do? Do you stay and make nice? Do you leave? Do you fight? Do you stand up for what's right? There are many choices that you have to make. And you're making choices from the moment you walk in the room because you've anticipated, "Ah, I know this is a source of irritation, and boom, there it is. So you watch it, and you say, what are the conditions for this conflict? So right now, what's happening right now in this room with this conflict? So suppose you arrive, and it's been a really rough drive getting there, and you're very tense, and you walk in, you're on the edge. So what's your strategy? What do you feel when you walk in? You can say, okay, I'm really edgy here. Do you get out of the car and run around the block to get rid of your energy first? Do you walk in and, and you're softening your heart as you walk in? Do you say, I'm going to see what it's like to be with what's uncomfortable. I'm going to watch myself in this situation. And you take it as an opportunity to see, okay, I'm going to pay very close attention to all the escalation or de-escalation? And what do I do that makes a difference in that escalation? So you can treat it as an experiment. I'm looking for the color change. Or you can say, this is really, I'm not going to be able to do this. I can feel that it's really rising up in me, and I'm not going to be able to control it. I need to remove myself. I need to be able to say, or maybe I say to this person, You know, I need to take this up with you another time. Right now, I really need to see mom. What is the wise thing to do? What is wise is determined by what brings suffering or does not bring suffering. In these conditions, in this moment, with all of the things happening, do I stay, do I go? Do I engage? Do I not engage? The one thing you cannot engage with is your own mindfulness of the moment. That you need to engage in. That's where wisdom is. The engagement with what is happening here. What is happening now. And using yourself as a reference. Not me not your Aunt Jill, using yourself as a reference. Here's where I am. This is what's true for me right now. This is the attitude I am in the room with. 
This is my goal. These are my intentions. This is what I'm seeing in the moment. This is what I'm aware of. Based on this, I choose. I see what is true. I accept what is true. The conditions in this moment, the experience of this moment, and I choose this. And the next moment, you may choose something entirely different. Wisdom arises out of the awareness, seeing things clearly, and choosing not to suffer for yourself and others. Very important part of that. We have to ask ourselves, where do I stand? Where am I standing? What are the conditions of this moment? And over time, you'll get to know what those conditions mean for you. You'll learn where the color change is under these conditions. And the conditions are always different. But there are some similarities. There are things you know. When you're tired, you know certain things about you. When you're excited, you know certain things about you. Oh, there's a lot of excitement here. There's a lot of energy. Okay, there's probably a little too much. This is a little unstable. This amount of energy is too unstable. Maybe you're at a celebration. You know, I sure could use a little more energy. I'm, I'm, I'm not really participating. I need a little more energy here. Rub my hands together. It's choosing. Mindfulness that leads to choosing. And the wisdom is choosing skillfully. Choosing what is useful for you. You know, um, I love going on retreats. Long retreats, especially. Much better than short retreats. I like long retreats. And the reason I like that, like them, is that you get very still, that the concentration increases and the stability is strong and the mindfulness is strong and there's less happening, you know, less to pay attention to, fewer, fewer distractions. And in that stillness, I can see my reactivity. I can see what happens. It's easier to reflect in that stillness. And that's an important part of my practice. Is, uh, and usually when I go on retreats, my purpose for the retreat is to see what I'm not seeing. To see what I'm not seeing. Because even though I practice being mindful all the time, I'm not mindful all the time. And sometimes there are things sticking up out of the fog I just have been mentally pushing aside and not noticing. So the retreat is very important. But you know what? Every moment is very important. That's where I have the experience that I reflect on in retreat. That's what you notice. Here's what's happening right here, right now. I notice the colors in the room. There are colors in the room. There are people in the room. There are eyes in the room. This is happening here right now. I see my fingers working the room. Here, I'm noticing my fingers are really working as I'm gesturing here, and they're, they're going up and down. It's like I'm kneading, kneading the, the, the energy in the room. I'm aware of the energy in the room. And if you haven't noticed, I've noticed, my energy's up. <laughs> so I'm noticing this. I'm noticing that this is what's happening in the room. Wisdom arises in any moment. It's coincidence with mindfulness of seeing things as they are and discerning, discerning this is what's true, this is what's true, this is what's true. So how long does it take to develop wisdom? How long is your life? What is wise for me is not wise for you and vice versa. Wisdom is a personal journey. 
It's a personal capacity. It is your own internal deciphering key. With mindfulness, we discover what is skillful for us. What's skillful for me? You decide what's skillful for you. The trick is not to lie to yourself. Brutal honesty works the best. Brutal honesty. Over time, you become more skillful. This is just what wisdom means. This is how it works. You know, and, and, and you, learn, you learn something, and then you relearn it, and then you relearn it, and then you decide, you know, that's not even accurate. It's really not that. Uh, I used to have a lot of uh, ideas, things I knew about how desire worked for me. And then one day I discovered, hmm, desire is actually a cover for something else. It can be. It can be, a disco- it, it can be a cover for what I don't want. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually bored. Oh, you know, I, there's something that feels a little um, unacceptable about being bored to me. It, it seems like a failing. Boredom feels like a failing to me. And so I noticed that. I'm thinking, oh, you know, what I really need, and I start trying to fix the boredom, and I'm running off in desire, and I see all of that desire at being activated, and it takes a lot of effort to say I'm just going to sit here with this boredom and see what I can learn about how I am with boredom. And then I discover that it isn't actually boredom that's the problem. Boredom is how I react to the fact that there's something else going on I don't like. So I oh, this is boring. <laughs> oh, I didn't know my mind was doing that. Wisdom is about serial learning, uh, integrative learning. As Oh, this is what I see now. This is what I see now. This is what I see now. It's not so much that the truth has changed. Your ability to see becomes more subtle, more precise, the more you see. And what do we notice? We notice things arising and passing away. Uh, Yesterday, uh, a friend's father died. And we'd been expecting his death for some time. And yet, yesterday, he died. And there's something very ending about an ending. Oh, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, and then suddenly, there's an end. And we notice there's an absence. Something that was there is no longer there. This ability to notice the absence of something is actually really important to wisdom. Notice when boredom is not there anymore. Notice when desire is not there anymore. What does that feel like in the body? What does that feel like in the mind? Notice when that tight tension in the mind is not there. Oh. Because that's what gives you the ability to discern So you need to notice when something that has been agitating you is no longer agitating, it's no longer there. Or it has been weakened. Maybe it's not, you know, we we talk a lot about letting go of that. Let's let go of that. Sometimes it's just a slipping to the side of that. You know, it might not be so easy to just let go of something that is a strong feeling for you or a strong driver for you. But, oh... Step to the side a little bit. We develop a sensitivity. 
So learning about my friend's father's death yesterday reminded me how short life is. Life is short. It gets shorter as you get older. There's no rational reason for this, thinking this way, except that the probability increases that your life is going to be shorter than it is when you're 20. So you, you become sensitive to what does it mean to be alive? How am, I, how am I experiencing this moment? And it increases your ability to be mindful. You become inspired by what you notice. Missing, noticing the absence of this person who has died has stimulated a reflection on what does it mean to be alive. It has inspired me to be more acutely present. It has generated what I see now is an ability to discern a benefit from noticing what is no longer here. When we let go of ill will, what do we notice in our body? What's changed? Can we see the moment that the catalyst color changes? We see that exact moment. What does it take to make me feel safe? When, do I, when I'm feeling safe, do I notice that? Oh, I'm feeling safe. We spend a lot of time noticing when we're fear, fearful, when we're anxious, when, you know, all of these negative things. What does it take for you? When do you feel safe? Don't miss it. Notice it. You can't choose it if you never feel it, if you never experience it. What does it feel like to be both open and vigilant? When you're mindful, when you're experiencing what's happening and being brutally honest, what's all of the stuff that's here? Does that feel safe? Does it not feel safe? Can I be open to you, all of you, and feel safe. Why? What's happening? What's happening? What's missing? Do I feel safe because something is missing? Maybe my desire to be liked is missing so I can just be open to whatever is happening here. Oh, oh. Is this useful or not? Is this useful or not useful? This is a question to ask. What else is happening? Be present for all of it. The good, the not so good feeling, Be present for all of it. Wisdom doesn't arise out of becoming a magically better person. Wisdom arises out of seeing your experience and choosing benefit. For you, for others, for both you and others. Those are the conditions. That's wisdom. When you think about a wise person, think about a wise person in your life. What's true about them? Are they kind of wild and flighty? Over here, over there, over there? Probably not. Do they speak quickly? Do they listen? What does this feel like? When are you like this? When are you like this? When are you able to see 
this is, this is a skillful thing to do for me in this circumstance. This is the cultivation of wisdom. I'm going to read you something um, that I read in the, an op-ed piece in the New York Times this last weekend. And, it's, it's, um, and the purpose of reading this to you is to underscore what it feels like to be reflective and not judgmental about what you experience. So the title of this is How to Be Invisible. I'm not going to read you the whole thing. I'm just going to read you an excerpt. It's by Akiko Bush. It was published on February 7th. Invisibility can be a condition of insight and endurance, a position of strength and power, a matter of knowing how and where we can be best accommodated by the exterior world. It can reflect a knowledge that we are of a larger world and that our survival depends on knowing this. Not a bad thing to be reminded of when our disruptions of the natural environment result in everything from freakishly warm temperatures to ocean acidification. Invisibility can be about finding a sense of self with the immediate landscape, be it social, cultural, or environmental. It can be about adaptability and the recognition that assertiveness may not always be in our best interest. Most of all, it can reflect a sense of vigilance, a sensitivity to and respect for external conditions. Escaping notice need not be about complacent isolation, mindless conformity, or humiliating anonymity. When circumstance confers invisibility upon us, perhaps it is something to appreciate and even welcome. As some iteration of the small imprint, low-impact living, it makes sense to aspire to. Or possibly as a more profound poise, a further, fuller appreciation for our place in the greater scheme of things. So that's the end of the segment. Now, what impressed me about this is very often we have the opinion that being invisible is kind of not a good thing. You know, we all want to be seen. Um, we don't want to be discounted. We want to be impactful. You know, we want to be a positive force for ourselves and others in the world. And this seems like the thing to do then is to be present in an obvious way. And what this person is describing is the virtue of invisibility, of not being seen, of not being noticed. In describing this, all of his words are all very much about what are you aware of? What are you actually aware of? So you can put a title on it of invisibility, but then what he talked about Finding a sense of fit with the immediate landscape. How am I integrating into this immediate landscape, this environment I'm in right here in this room? Be it social, cultural, environmental. How am I fitting into my family? How am I fitting into my sangha? What am I noticing about that? It can be about adaptability and the recognition that assertiveness may not always be in our best interest. This speaks very much to me for personal reasons. Most of all, it can reflect a sense of vigilance, a sensitivity to and respect for external conditions. When we are mindful, we are not only inner-directed we are also outer-directed. Our experience of how are we in the world, how are we with the people, the culture, the room, 
the environment that we are part of. This is part of mindfulness, part of what we notice. Escaping notice need not be about complacent isolation, mindless conformity, or humiliating anonymity. When circumstance confers invisibility upon us, when what's arising is invisibility, perhaps it is something to appreciate and even welcome as some iteration, some example of, in his case, small imprint, low impact living, or possibly as a more profound poise, a profound poise a comfort in the world, a confidence, the confidence of faith. This is, this is skillful means in the world. Ah. This is your own wisdom. We've been talking for four weeks about the five spiritual faculties. They are not independent of one another. They are totally dependent on one another. Our task is to cultivate them, to cultivate faith and energy and mindfulness and concentration, stability, and wisdom. And in that cultivating, to balance them to balance them within our own experience so that we can choose how to be skillful in the world, so that we can choose not to suffer. Oh, this is what's happening. Oh, this is what's happening. May you all find, see, recognize your own wisdom. Thank you very much. So, comments? We don't have much time, so. See, I protected myself by talking all the way to the end. (laughs) Yes? You mentioned that um, what is uh, wise for you or or skillful for you may not be for me. And I'm I'm struck also by the fact that what was skillful, I thought was skillful last year for me, I look back and I say, hmm, maybe not. Yes. Yeah. Maybe not. Yes. There's, There's an evolution of what we can see Mm-hmm. And our experience allows us to accumulate wisdom, our ability to choose. Thank you. That's wonderful. Okay. Bye bye, everyone. See you again sometime. Mm-hmm. <laughs>